Well, I've been speaking out of Joshua, but I want to divert from Joshua and the lessons there about trusting in God and wanted to take a look at Mark chapter 11 and look at two points in Mark chapter 11. And that is uh, the cleansing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree. And Robin, I'm going to pick on you. Is that okay? That's fine. Have have you ever wondered why Jesus cursed the fig tree? Never wondered that? Or do you already know why? I don't know, I don't know why. You don't know why? Well, okay, all right, but you've never wondered why. Why would Jesus curse a lowly fig tree? I'm wondering now. Okay, all right, well, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Yes, yes. Well, instead of starting with that, I want to start with uh, chapter 11, verse 15. So I'm going to kind of move in the middle and then spread out. Well, let me back up and say, to get the big picture, we'll start back at 11, and then I'll jump. Uh, Verse 11 says, And he went into Jerusalem and into the temple complex. After looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, uh, the next day, when they came out from Bethany, and skip down to verse 15. They came to Jerusalem. So you can see what they're doing here. They're, they're actually not staying in Jerusalem. They're staying in Bethany. But they go back into Jerusalem. They came into Jerusalem, and he went into the temple complex and began to throw out those buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the money changers' tables and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple complex. Then he began to teach them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. Then the chief priest and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to destroy him. For they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. And whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Now, the account of the cleansing of the temple. Let's look at that for just a minute. Yeah, I'll refresh your memory of the temple itself. The temple in Jerusalem, sitting on a mountain on the east side of the city. It has the temple building itself. Of course, there's an intersection of the temple uh, that was just for the Jews and an outer court. And if you imagine this outer court would have been the size of several football fields. Very, very big. And it was this outer court where all the buying and selling was going on. But do you know what this outer what the intention of this outer court was? Or even what the name of the outer court was? The court of the Gentiles. The purpose of this outer court, well, it was there originally so that the peoples of the nations could come and hear the ways of God. 
It was there so they could hear and be taught His Word. And notice what Jesus now calls it. He doesn't just call it a place where robbery occurs. He's talking about the Holy Temple here. He doesn't say it's a place where robbery occurs. What does He say it is? It's the home of the robbers. Yes. It's the home it's of the robbers. Of security. Yes. It's where the robbers go after they've done their robbing, their lair, their, as you said, their place of security, where they return as a safe haven after committing acts of robbery in the outside world. So he wasn't just saying, you're robbing people here. He was saying this very place is the den of, den of thieves. That temple, that area, should have been a house of prayer for all nations. But this plaza, the court of the Gentiles, had been so filled up with money changers that there was no room for the Gentiles to come and worship. And, and in one sense... Matthew 23 basically says that the Jews, in a sense, had, in a way, locked up the knowledge of God and wouldn't let anybody else come in. They didn't live up to their own responsibility, and they caused others to lose out as well. So what had happened? What had God called Israel to do originally? They were called to be a light into the world right? Israel was called to be a light into the, to the Gentiles, a light into the world. Well, they had abandoned that original calling, that vocation to be the light of the world. They had abandoned the call to spread the arms open wide to foreign nations and display God's love. And so in these acts of cleansing the temple, Jesus is speaking judgment against the temple. Now, in one sense, he's also carrying out the very um, acts or, in, in a sense, the prophecy spoken by Jeremiah. If you want to follow, I'm going to read out of Jeremiah chapter 7. And just listen how close this parallels to what was happening in Mark. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the house of the Lord, and there call out this word. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who enter through the gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says. Correct your ways and your deeds, and I will allow you to live in this place. Do not trust deceitful words chanting, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Instead, if you really change your ways and your actions, if you act justly toward one another, if you no longer oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, and no longer shed innocent blood in this place or follow other gods, bringing harm on yourselves, I will allow you to live in this place, the land I gave your ancestors 
long ago and forever. But look, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. Do you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods that you have not known? Then do you lost my place here? Do you come and stand before me in this house called by my name and say, We are delivered so we can continue doing detestable acts? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your view? Yes, I have seen it. This is the Lord's declaration. And then down at verse 20. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Look, my anger, my burning wrath is about to be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the tree of the field and on the produce of the land. My wrath will burn and not be quenched. Do you see how this is being mirrored in Jesus' actions? Now go to Jeremiah 8. Chapter or chapter 8, verse 8. And I'll read a few verses there as this same train of thought is continuing. How can you claim you are wise? The law of the Lord is with us. In fact, the lying pen of scribes has produced falsehood. The wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and snared. They have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they really have? Therefore I will give their wives to other men, their fields to new occupants. For from the least to the greatest, everyone is making profit dishonestly. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated superficially the brokenness of my dear people, claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. Mm -hmm. Were they ashamed when they acted so abhorrently? They weren't ashamed at all. They can no longer feel humiliation. What an indictment on the people. Therefore, they will fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they will collapse, says the Lord. I will gather them and bring them to an end. This is the Lord's declaration. There will be no grapes on the vine, no figs on the fig tree, and even the leaf will wither. Whatever I have given them will be lost to them. So do you see with what Jesus' actions were, with what Jeremiah says, I hope you can get a grasp the extent to which basically the Jewish leadership had gone in losing contact with God, losing contact with God's purpose for his people and of course for the temple. You know, Jesus had said it's supposed to be a house of prayer. And yet, the high priest had instituted this practice of, sacrif of selling sacrificial animals 
and put it there in the court of the Gentiles. So it made it impossible for the Gentiles to go there and worship. And then what happens after Jesus makes this proclamation? How did they respond? Did they respond by saying, we're going to make changes? We're going to move the selling of animals, the money changers, out of the court of the Gentiles so that the Gentiles can hear the word of God? No, that's not how they responded. Their response was, we don't like what Jesus is saying. Let's get rid of him. Hmm. They, were, they responded to Jesus' zeal, zeal for the sanctity of the temple by deciding to kill him. Wow. And what does this say? I mean, this is like a supreme declaration of their refusal to accept his identity and accept his authority. So with that with that picture in mind one more just one more comment to make though if you were a merchant this is a merchant's dream this is a money changer's dream you could bring your own animal to the temple to be sacrificed but it had to go through an inspection and pass an, an inspection and if it failed the inspection well, it couldn't be sacrificed. You had to buy an animal from one of the people selling an officially sanctioned animal there on the temple grounds. Well, of course, it sounds like a scheme, doesn't it? And yeah. Now, get this. That's, that's not all. You couldn't use your regular money. You lived in a Roman country. The money would have been Roman coins, and what figures were on Roman coins? Caesar's. Caesar was worshipped as a god. You could not use Roman coins with the symbol of a false god to purchase things in the temple. So you couldn't use your regular money to buy an animal. You had to go to the money changers to get money changed that could be accepted in the temple. So it's just a scheme upon a scheme upon a scheme. There were probably selling pyramid schemes there as well. But you can see how the whole thing was just used to bilk. I almost named out a few and just drew back from calling out some pyramid schemes. But you can see how the people were being bilked. So not only were they taking advantage of the Jews coming to offer sacrifices, coming to worship. But then the second part was as we'd already discussed. This will probably where TBM started. <laughs> well, see, I, I drew back. I actually wasn't going to say that, but uh, Greg didn't hold back. But yes. So <laughs> not only is it they taking advantage of the Jews. But they're doing all of this in the court of the Gentiles so that the Gentiles are not hearing the word of the Lord. And now all this is going on. With that in mind, let's backtrack now 
just a little bit more. And I want to go back to verse 11, and then I'll fill in the blanks around it. So we'll start back at verse 11 again. And he went into Jerusalem and into the temple complex. After looking around, this means he's already seen everything. He's observed what's going on. Since it was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, when they came out from Bethany, he was hungry. After seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. It went on to Jerusalem. He casts out, overturns the many changers and cast out those in the in the temple complex. They go back to Bethany for the evening. They come back out the next day. And when they were passing by, I'm down in verse 20, early in the next morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Now, we ask the question, why did he curse the fig tree? Why did this happen at this time? Hmm? Especially when it wasn't the season. Yes, exactly. Well, you think about it. Now, first glance, we might think, wow, this is really harsh of Jesus to curse a fig tree, especially when it's not in season. You know, and, and I was looking, in, and in response to this puzzling question, there are people who are not Christians, skeptics, that have let themselves run wild with accusations about this passage. There's a gentleman by the name of Steve Wells who wrote the Skeptics Annotated Bible, uh, and he labels this story as an absurdity and says in a very sarcastic stone, tar sarcastic tone, uh, Jesus kills the fig tree not for bearing figs, even though it was out of season. He did this to show the world just how much God hates figs. Now, of course, he's meaning this to be sarcastic. But it shows you that he doesn't understand the passage, doesn't understand God's word or the meaning behind it. It's true. Mark says here it's not the season for figs. But what does he mean? He means that it's not the season for harvesting figs. The ripe, sweet figs are harvested in the summer. And here it's more of springtime. Now, when fig leaves appear on a fig tree about the end of March, they're actually accompanied by a small crop of little knobs that look like little miniature figs. And the term for them, if, if I can uh, uh, find the term for them, the tekesh, that's the, that's the term. Uh, it's sort of a forerunner of the real fruit. And these tekesh, they're eaten by, the, by people just walking by, 
when when they get hungry, and they would be there when the leaves are there. Now they drop off before the real figs start growing. So to pluck them off and eat them doesn't do any harm to the growth of real figs. So lush foliage, foliage, lush leaves on the tree would normally mean that there's something on that tree to eat. The tekesh. And so Jesus sees the the leaves, ah, little uh, breakfast snack, an invitation that says, open for breakfast. And he searches through the leaves and he finds nothing. No fruit. Appearances can be deceiving. And here's another point. If the leaves of a fig tree appear and there is or are no Takesh fruit then that means that there's not going to be any figs growing on that tree that year. Even though that fig tree may be all beautiful with leaves it's going to be a fruitless and hopeless tree. And so he used this as an illustration of the fruitlessness and hopelessness of what was going on in the temple of Israel. You know, of course, Jesus doesn't go around uh, cursing fig trees. But the point was to point out what was happening in the temple and to point out what was going to be the eventual demise of the temple. See, the activities in the side of the temple, as we'd already looked at, at one time had been fruitful and had become and were wholesome, but now had become empty, no value, no fruit, useless. And so the cursing of the fig tree is actually a lesson. It symbolizes what was going to be God's judgment on all of Israel for not bearing the fruit that he wanted them to bear. And it foreshadows the ultimate prophecy of the destruction of the temple. So really, he wasn't pronouncing judgment against the tree. The tree was not in trouble. The nation of Israel was. The tree had not rejected the Messiah. The nation of Israel had. And so the tree is being used as a symbol, not the object of judgment. So a tree with no fruit, we would call that word hypocrisy, probably a good word for it. God is concerned about hypocrisy. What, what is hypocrisy? Believing in one thing and doing another. Believing in one thing and doing another, yeah. Saying, saying, saying one thing. Your words, your actions don't match. Your words. Yeah, 
Exactly. And the opposite of hypocrisy. Faithfulness? Faithfulness. Well, the one I came up with was honesty. Honesty. Transparency. Transparency. Yeah. So, the opposite of hypocrisy, at least as I was looking at it, would be honesty. Honesty and display in the image of God. The one thing that I was thinking of is who gets hurt the most for hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means that you're lying to somebody else, but you're also lying to yourself. You keep saying it so much, you end up believing the lie yourself. And that turns into self-deceit. You know, So I got to thinking, when we're made in God's image. We are made to reflect His character. Israel was supposed to be reflecting God's character. And honesty displays the character of the one we're supposed to reflect. The one who calls himself the truth. And if we indulge in hypocrisy, no matter how small, the one who ends up getting to see the most is ourselves. And we're not reflecting the one who made us. You know, so we're called we're called not to be like that fig tree. The fig tree did what? It promised something that it did not deliver on. It promised fruit because it looked good on the outside. But it didn't have any fruit on the inside. So, the one other point just to touch on here is thinking back to what had happened in the temple. They had rejected who Jesus was, his identity, and his calling. And one of the things to think about is there can be no fruit. Unless someone recognizes and accepts Jesus as Lord and Master. And there can be no fruit unless you believe. But here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. We're all... We were all at one time barren trees. In a sense, that's how we started out, was as barren trees. But unlike the fig tree, which is incapable, incapable of bearing fruit out of season, we can bear fruit in and out of season. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're not living lives of hypocrisy, if we are putting our faith and our trust in God, you know, we believe in the Lord and we become the fig trees that do bear fruit that we could have never borne on our own. The type of fruit that you saw 
in Peru. So, now as you think about the fig tree, he didn't just curse it for no reason, did he? He cursed it for us to learn from it. It was one part, the destruction, almost a prophetic teaching on the destruction to come. And he had a calling for us to realize that we're not to be like that tree and have an outward leaves but no fruit, but calling us to bear fruit. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. There is so much that that we can glean from it, even on the, just a simple basic reading. Thank you for having your hand on the writers mm -hmm. so that they would write in such a way that we would understand it and yet in such a way that it is truly your word. Thank you that you can teach us. Really teach us about salvation through judgment. I pray that you would call us to a higher standard than even what we are today. I pray that you would help us to look in our own lives to see if there's any areas where we have been hypocritical any areas where we've not been honest with ourselves honest with others help us to walk in the truth help us to reflect your image father reflect your image for the whole world to see so that we would not be like the temple and fill up what should have been the court of the Gentiles but help us to proclaim to the people of the nations your word and your salvation we ask this in your holy name Amen <laughs> Look on page 10, if you will. Thanks,
Interpret the scripture for me. I guess what I've come to the conclusion is, is that you know, he goes on to talk about praying and casting mountains into the sea. It just follows that. Are you going to believe him? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to live your life and order it the way that he is described? He tells us to repent, and that replies every day that we are to repent. I mean, how many of you can live a day without falling short of the glory of God? Lord, we just pray that you would cleanse our hearts from the spirit of hypocrisy. Lord, what you have intended by giving us a body and a spirit and a mind is that we be the image of Christ here on the earth. And Lord, whenever that is not happening, then we are falling short of, of, our, of our destiny, Lord, of our, our calling. So Lord, we ask you for grace in our life. We ask, Lord, that you would draw us to repentance. Father, we we just want to declare to our, ourselves that your love is better than life. Draw a sword to yourself. Open up the skies of mercy. Rain down that Yeah. 
ceasing this week. Lord, let us clothe ourselves with the garments of peace. Lord, let every thought be taken captive to Christ, that we might have the mind of Christ. Lord, that we would do all the things that we do, whether it be eating or drinking, for the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus. We might be found in you. Lord, just lift up every need among us. For those that are traveling today, Lord, just lift up this uh, memorial service for Jenna this afternoon. And Lord, may our memory of her life here on earth cause us to rejoice. Lord, may our memory of her spur us on to love one another. And Lord, we're just so thankful that she is now there with you. And Lord, one day you will receive each one of us. Thank you, Jesus. Or may we be salt and light to the earth in which we now live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.